Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 19. And our last message, Jesus gave us uh, three points were important. We saw it from the parable of the ten talents. And uh, it was these that we saw that the king has a mission to save the lost. The king's mission is very clear in that. Not only that, in the saving of the lost, we see changed lives. And then the last point was our trust in him is to be our motivation to serve him. We don't, we don't serve him because we always feel like it. Sometimes our feelings and emotions and circumstances change, but we serve him because we trust him and we obey him because of that. And this week we're going to move on to the triumphal entry of Christ. We're nearing uh, kind of the, the climax of this journey uh, as we've seen so far. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to kind of put this out. I think we've all been through different circumstances in our life or been in a situation where we have had uh, a non-negotiable terms, if you will. Uh, whether it was at, at a job or whether you had a parent say this is non-negotiable, uh, a coach, w- whatever. Uh, we've all, I think, can testify to that non-negotiable situation. Um, I was probably 18, I think 18 years old and was going to Tarleton State University. And I had come from uh, Boswell and we had, you know, workouts and, and, and sports and uh, thought, thought, you know, hey, this is not going to be a big deal to step from this to that. And when we got down there, they totally destroyed our expectations on what, on what was to be expected uh, from, from athletes there. And, and so I, my mind was blown. Um, we had to, and this is baseball, this wasn't even a football program, this is a baseball program. We had to, on our off days, we had to run four miles and that was after um, an hour workout in the weight room. And then after the four miles and after the weight room workout, uh, we'd have to go back and meet the other part of the team that had been playing a nine-inning game and run 60-yard sprints until the, the coach got tired. And I think I shared a little bit of that story with y'all uh, when, they, when I was uh, just kind of cruising and not running as hard as I could. And uh, the coach stopped everything and made an example out of me. Um, that was fun. But... Um, yeah, it, but so on the other days, on our on days, we had to play nine inning game, and then after the nine inning game, we'd go out there and meet the rest of the team that had been in the work and in, in the weight room, running four miles, and we would all run sixty yard sprints together. And I share all that with you because there were no negotiations, there were there were no exceptions, there were no uh, excuses. You were a part of the team, and so you did it. And I'm telling you what, again, I, I thought that you know, hey, it's not going to be a big deal. It was a really big deal. Some of you know. And I'm very bold about this. I hate running with a passion. I hate it. I mean, I would rather, um, I don't know, um, step on a Lego uh, with no shoes or something. I don't know. Every night. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I hate running uh, with a passion. And so when they were like, all right, we're going to run, I'm like, oh, man. But then when they said, we're going to run to the end of this street around the park and back, I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's not that far. It, it was four miles. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I hate. And then the coach, he, uh, which was kind of an interesting situation, the coach 
uh, was an older man and he smoked a cigar. And he was charging us to be healthy and in shape. And, um, but he, he would drive his vehicle down to the end of this park. And, and he would wait down there in his vehicle, windows rolled down, smoking his cigar, making sure that when we got to the park, that we didn't walk behind the bushes, that we actually continued to run all the way around. And um, I had good feelings towards him the whole time. And oh, I did. I mean, I, I, at that time, I knew it was just part of it. But it was a non-negotiable situation. And again, I'm sure that everyone can share a situation where you've been in and testify to that. Yes, or my dad said this, or my mom said this, or my, my boss said this or that, or similar, maybe a coach or something like that. But in this, the message this morning, we're going to see uh, right off the bat a non-negotiable point and then a couple very important points as well after that. So uh, let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what we've already experienced. Thank you for the opportunity just to be here gathered in your name. Lord, we realize that it's all about you. God, that, that we go through this life and we have uh, headaches and heartaches and hurts and losses and uh, sicknesses and, and struggles and, and circumstances and uh, we have a, a, a difficult road in, in many uh, respe respects. And um, Lord, we're thankful that we have your grace, thankful that we have your blood, thankful that we have you, that we can trust on and lean on in this life. And uh, God, that you help us and you carry us through. And, and even through our circumstances, our difficult circumstances, you teach us and you grow us. And uh, you work those things for, for our good and for your glory. And uh, even when we don't see, even when we don't have the answers, uh, again, Lord, we know that you're still good and you're still right. And I do lift up those that are going through difficult times right now, Lord, whether it's with their health or um, just unanswered questions, Lord, I, I pray that you would minister uh, to every person in this room. And most importantly, Lord, if, if there's someone here that's lost, they've never been born again, they've never surrendered their life to you and uh, experienced that life change. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would use this message this morning, that your spirit would speak to them and that they would realize how much love you have for them. And they would also be warned that if they don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, if they don't make that decision before this life ends, that they'll have to spend an eternity in a place that you've designed for Satan and for his, his demons. Um, again, for all of eternity. And so Lord, I pray that if someone's lost here this morning, uh, that they would make that decision to trust you before they leave. And Lord, we'll praise you for all these things. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 28. It says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon, you, uh, uh, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus shall you, uh, shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose you the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. Now, there's, you know, I love the Bible because there's so much um, reality in this. And again, just picture this for a second. These guys show up and start taking this guy's donkey. They didn't tell him what they were going to do before they did it. They were telling him after he started asking. Now, put yourself in that situation. You know, I mean, somebody just comes to your house and starts taking your vehicle. 
I mean, what, what would you do? Don't tell me, but I mean, there, there's, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it could be a dangerous situation that Jesus said, hey, go and, and, and you're going to find this donkey and take him. And when you're asked at that point, tell them that the master has need of him. Um, and so again, very, very interesting situation and very interesting command that Jesus gave to his disciples to follow and again, we could see, sit here and we could discuss a, a, maybe an argument that they would pose, but Lord, we're not ready to die today. Maybe somebody's going to, I mean, we take this colt, somebody may stab us. Somebody may, somebody may thrust us through with a sword or uh, throw us in jail. That, that they could have argued, they could have, they could have you know, debated with him. They could have given up an excuse why they couldn't do what he commanded them to do. And again, several points that we could take from this, but the first point, very important, very uh, helpful, I think, for us even today is this. Number one, God's go is never negotiable. God's go is never negotiable. Again, those disciples could have said, uh, I don't like this idea. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't want to go and take somebody's donkey I mean, we realize that, that you're telling us to do it. We realize that it's important. We realize that we're on a mission. We realize all these things, but I don't want to go and take somebody's donkey and then try to explain to them why. And you're telling us what we're supposed to tell them. It's just the master is in need of it. I mean, can't we at least tell them maybe we're going to sacrifice it or like something sounding really important and um, versus just the master needs it. But they... At this time, and I think, again, for us to t today, need to understand that God's go is never negotiable. Um, his go and, and his disciples' obedience was part of a bigger picture than it appeared at the time. And that's important for us to understand about what, they, what he told them then, but it's also important for us to understand today. His go for them and their obedience to that command was part of a way bigger picture than just going grabbing a donkey and bringing along with us because the master has need. It was a part of a way bigger picture, an eternal picture. And so we have to grasp that still today. If God says go, that's not negotiable. And, and we have to grasp that, man, there's a reason that he says go. I, I know for us parents today, we have our kids sometimes ask us, oh, we do. I mean, it was just, I, even yesterday, why? Mommy tells, mommy tells, hey, you need to do this or stop doing this. First, first thing out of their mouth, why? Anybody have a problem with that? <laughs> and, 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 and you know what my response is, and this is kind of the way I was raised? Most of us have this response too. What do we normally say whenever they say why? Amen. <laughs> All you kids hear that? Teenagers? Because I said so. And, and in our minds, we know why we're saying that. But because we're the parent, because we're the adult, because we're the one in charge, we feel like we don't have to give an explanation. It's because we said so. I don't want you to do cartwheels anymore and maybe hurt yourself in the living room. No, stop. Because I said so. Now, we can give that reason, but it's just because I said so. God could have said that. God could, Jesus could have said, go into town, grab the donkey no one's ever ridden on, take it, and when they say, just tell them because the master said so. You know, I mean, 
He, he had already given them, though, a bigger picture. He had already given them the purpose in all this. Uh, again, we've already realized that they've forgotten a lot of this. Uh, but it was. It was a part of a bigger, bigger picture than what they saw in the moment. But it's always been the same. God, he, he's worked the same way all along. Think about it. Noah. Think about Noah. God says, go build an ark. No one's ever built an ark. It's never rained like that. God, you're telling us that it's going to flood the earth, and we've never experienced that before. Just because you've never experienced it doesn't mean that there's not a purpose, or there's not a bigger purpose in it. Just do it. Just build the ark. What about Moses? Abraham? Again, think about Abraham when, when God says, go and go to a land that I'm going to show you. What? You just pack up my family, pack up all my possessions, all my, all my belongings, our whole lives, everything? You just want us to uproot and just go? Yes. I'll show you. Again, Moses. I, thought, I can't speak. I, I, I'm not the right person. God's like, there's not an argument here. You're going to do this. I want you to do this. There's a bigger picture. And, of course, Joshua, trying to follow in Moses' shoes, take him into the land of Egypt. The apostles. On and on and on, even up to us today. God's go has never been negotiable. It's never been negotiable. As they were sent in Jesus' day, so are we sent today. There's not to be an argument, there's not to be an excuse, there's not to be a reasoning, there's not to be a negotiation. And it's the same exact reason as it was then that it is today. What is it? As I said a while ago, there's a bigger picture than what, may, what it may appear to us to be today. And so I don't see really the need for me to do that. I don't really see the need for me personally to, to be a part. I don't see... I don't, I don't like this. I don't, I don't want this. I, it, it's not fun. It's not in, enjoyable. I don't, I don't want to do this. But see, those are all excuses. Those are all part of a negotiation that God's go doesn't afford. God's go isn't negotiable. And we can come up with anything. We can say, well, I can't. We can come up and we can say, well, nothing happens. Or we can even say, well, I've never led someone to Christ in my life before. We can say, well, it doesn't make sense. But get this. Our negotiation, our arguments don't, neg don't negate God's go. Just because we have an argument, just because in our mind we have an excuse, just because we have these things, it doesn't take away from the fact that God still says go. And furthermore, our circumstances... Don't change the command to go. Think about that. Our circumstances don't change God's command to go. We, we, we think in our minds that because maybe things are difficult or maybe when things are good, or we, we, we think in terms of subjectivity, the way that things are going in our lives, how we're feeling, whether we're feeling good or feeling bad, and, and that's how we're going to react to God. That's how we're going to react to either obedience or disobedience to this command. And again, we have to realize our circumstances don't change the commands of God. I want us to get this. That can be something that is, is a tough pill to swallow. Because how many times, and we've talked about this in recent weeks, do we base our obedience to God on how we feel? A lot. I don't really feel like doing this. I don't really feel like going there. I don't really feel like. And that's how we base our obedience to God. But we have to remember that our circumstances as well 
don't change God's commands, period. So when God has said something, whether it's go or whatever, our circumstances, our feelings don't change God's commands. But that's the tendency that we're all prone to have. That's the tendency that we can all have and struggle with. See, I've seen it in many people's lives, I've seen it in my life, that we can take a stand, we can, we can be absolute in our obedience, and, and, and it's based off of God's word, based off a of command. We know this is right, this is wrong. And maybe we stand there for years. And then our circumstances change. Our job, money, situation, our kids' activities or circumstances, something changes, and then all of a sudden, where we stood on God's word before is completely different. I don't really think it's that bad. I don't really think it's a big deal. Based off of what? Feelings or circumstances. But why? Why? Why do we do that? Why is, it, why is that the tendency to make God's command subject to our feelings or circumstances? Why is that? I mean, if it's supposed to be absolute and there's no negotiation with God because he said so, just like we have that same mindset, we want our kids to accept that standard, right? I think we all, all parents, all grandparents, that's what we would love to have. If every, if every kid, every teenager signed an agreement says, you know what, I am going to obey my parents, I'm going to obey my, uh, my, those that are in authority to me because they said so. <laughs> that would be amazing, right? Hey, can somebody get on that? Can they work on a, like, a contract or something? That would be amazing to, to have. But here's the deal. We want our kids to be that absolute in their obedience, right? We want them because I said so, because I'm the authority, I'm the parent, I'm the grandparent, I'm the teacher, I'm the coach, whoever. I want you to obey me because I said so, but when it comes to God and our obedience and our reaction to him, we feel like that we have some ground to stand on in the argument or the negotiation. Why? Why is that? I believe the answer is it's the flesh's weakness. It's the way that our flesh goes, which is this, a tendency to choose the easy path. It's a tendency to choose the path of least resistance. That's the truth. I mean, think about it in, think, think about it in your job. Right? Okay, so you, you have this opportunity to, um, to do something easy and still get paid versus having to work harder and get paid the same, same as the next person, right? What would you rather do? You would rather do the easy stuff and get paid the same amount. You know, I mean, that's, that's just the way that we are wired in our flesh. There's not many people that would say, you know, I would rather go out there and take a beating all day long and be the, I mean, sweat, tears, I mean, just, uh, I would rather do that versus just chilling and getting paid for it too. I remember when I was uh, in, in high school as well, and I worked for the school district, and I don't think we have any, well, we have some people working for the school district, but I don't think it's going to really bother anybody in here, but um, we, we, would, we were um, high school kids, right? So this is not a surprise. High school kids want the easy way out, too. Um, and we were working, uh, mowing and weed-eating all of the, the athletic facilities and stuff, and the coaches were our bosses. Now, 
The coaches were working in the summer to get extra money, just watching over teenagers, who they were supposed to be trying to get a break from during the summer, right? But they were watching over us as we're working. And so here's what we were told many times. Just go somewhere and don't be seen. We were like, the first time they told us that, we were like, what? What? (laughs) They're like, look, just go to the weight room or just, we don't want to see you, you know? And if you, if the boss sees you, then you're going to be in trouble with us too. (laughs) So so don't be, don't be seen. So we would, you know, okay, we got keys. Let's go to the gymnastics gym and play in the foam, you know? (laughs) Let's go jump on the trampolines, you know? I mean, um, let's go take a nap. And so we, and, and again, we're getting, but this is your tax dollars that work, people. <laughs> it happened. But um, that's, that's the, the mindset, and that's the tendency of our flesh for all of us, is to take that path of least resistance. And I want us to remember this. Again, our feelings don't change God's commands. They don't change God's commands, and our circumstances don't change God's commands. And Again, last week I want to reiterate this. That's the reason why we often don't obey the Lord. That's a lot of times the reason why we don't do what God says that we're supposed to do in his word is because we just just don't feel like it. The truth remains. This This is the truth. You do, I do what we want to do. If you want to obey God, you obey God. If your desire is to do something else, regardless of the price that he paid, Regardless of his love and his gifts, if we don't want to, we don't. But as the redeemed saints of God, we have to understand, we have to get our go is so important. The eternity of millions hangs in the balance. The eternity of millions whether we actually get to see one person get saved in our life personally, leading someone to the Lord or not, millions, eternity hanging in the balance. The great missionary Hudson Taylor once said this. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. See, those two disciples were told to go, and it was in the gospel service. It was in the line of what was going to happen for Jesus Christ, which, which meant eventually eternity for all of us they were told to go anytime Jesus Christ commanded to go and still today we have to get that the end was the gospel plan and that leads to the next point point number two in your notes is this God's plan is perfect without our help God's plan is perfect without our help now I know that we feel like that our plan is a little better than God sometimes because when we go through those difficult times, we go through those, those, those storms, those, those circumstances, uh, all, all those things, in, in our minds, we, this is how we think. Well, it would just be better if I didn't go through this. It would be better if I wasn't dealing with this. It would be better if I didn't have to experience this. That's what our mind says, because why? Because we don't like the difficulty. We don't like the hardship. We don't like all the, the, the storms and the rocky uh, waters and stuff. We don't like that it, 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 because it goes back to what I said a while ago, because of the way it makes us feel. I don't feel good when I'm going through this. I don't, I don't like this. Everything's bad. Everything's horrible. I, I, I don't want this in my life. 
And while this is true that God's plan is perfect without our help, the truth also is this, that God desires our cooperation with his plan. God desires for us to get it. He desires for us to embrace it. He desires for us to live it out. We know that the plan was Jerusalem, right? He had already told the disciples, this is where we're going. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm, in three days I'm going to die, be buried, rise again. This is the way it's going to happen. Again, he, he had already laid out the plan. The plan was Jerusalem to go and die for their sins, to, to do these things. They heard this. They knew this. They knew that was the plan. But think about this. If you look back in the text, where did they stop? They didn't stop in Jerusalem. They stopped in Bethphage and Bethany. That wasn't the destination. Why are we stopping here? Why are you telling us to do stuff here when we're supposed to be on our way to Jerusalem and going there to accomplish what you said you come to accomplish? Not only that, why in the world stop in these places and ask for a donkey? I mean... <laughs> I mean, again, why couldn't we ask for, like, turtle doves or lambs, like, to sacrifice? Or, I mean, we're going to Jerusalem, going to the temple. Why stop and ask for a donkey? This makes no sense in our journey uh, with Christ. Why we would need to stop at this place, risk something, and ask for something that doesn't make sense in our minds. Think about this now. I think that's how we operate in our lives, too. I think that we know that the destination is heaven or we know that, that okay, we're going to go there and we're supposed to be the, child, the, the children of God. And, 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 but why am I at this juncture in my life? And why, why am I dealing with this right now? Why is God asking this of me at this phase in my life? Some of them may have known why he was stopping there. Some of them may have known why he was asking for a donkey. And had they known what Scripture had said and what the prophets had said, I think they would have. See, in the Bible it says in Zechariah chapter 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He's just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass. Upon a colt, the foal, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he, also, he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea to sea, and the river, even to the ends of the earth. But, okay, why still a donkey? I mean, why, why is this necessary? It was part of the prophecy of the Messiah coming and entering into Jerusalem. Okay, but, but why? Why a donkey? At this point in time, it was uh, customary or traditional that a donkey, uh, someone, a king, a prince riding into a city on a donkey was a sign of peace. Uh, uh, you know, a, a peace offering that I'm coming in peace. Versus the contrary of riding on a stallion, a horse, coming in to conquer, to defeat, to destroy. And so again... We understand that Jesus, his first advent, his first coming to this earth, was coming in peace. Even though he said that he had not come to give peace, he, he, what, he came in peace. He, he came to divide, the Bible says. But he came in peace, satisfying the necessary requirement to bring peace to mankind. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 2. Remember the, the, the prophecy that we went through early in this study, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. 
And as Isaiah chapter 53, something I shared recently, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as, as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was bruised, he, I'm sorry, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Listen to this, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The, the, what that means is the chastisement that God required to bring about peace for mankind was put upon the Messiah. So what we deserve to take, the wrath of God, the chastisement to bring about peace with God, to have a connection with God, was accomplished through Jesus Christ bruising and wounding. With the stripes we're healed and, and we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone his own way and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. The first coming, Jesus Christ, that's what he did. When they smacked him before, uh, 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 Herod said, hey, don't you know? Hey, prophesy, who, who just smacked you? Who just hit you? When he asked him a question, answer the person who's talking to you. He opened not his mouth. He was beaten. He could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him in that moment, but he didn't do anything because he came in peace to take upon the chastisement, our chastisement, to give us peace with God. That's what he did at his first coming. So that's why he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. But be it known at his second coming, if you look in Revelation, it says that he's riding something else. He's riding a horse, and he's coming to destroy. He's coming to judge. He's coming to conquer and to rule. And there will be peace at that point in time. The Bible tells us that he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a 1,000 years. So there will be absolute peace, but he's bringing it a different way. The first time he came on a donkey in peace as a sheep before her shears, he, he came as a lamb that was slain, but he's riding as the conquering king on a horse at his second coming, and he's coming to bring peace through judgment. And we need to make sure that we are ready and that the world hears and knows when he comes again, this is how he's coming. But it's a perfect plan. God's plan has always been perfect. So when his disciples were there and he was telling them, go into the city or go into this, this town next to us and get the donkey. You're going to find it. It's tied there. No one's ever ridden there. When someone asks you what you're doing, tell them that the master needs, needs it. The reason why they were stopping in this town was a part of God's plan. The reason the donkey, part of God's plan. It's a perfect plan. And here's the thought for us today. If God's plan is perfect, which it is, we don't have to say if, but let's just say if God's plan is perfect, why do we spend so much time and effort trying to get God to change his plan to fit ours? Think about that. I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't want this for my life. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not what I'm supposed to be dealing with. I'm trying everything. I'm doing everything. And why this now? And further, maybe deeper, do we really only want God so that he'll give us what we want in life? And that, that, that can be a tough pill to swallow, swallow in that, that question. Do I only want God in my life? Do I only want this, this, this 
salvation because it is going to take me to heaven one day. And not only that, do I, do I only have this interaction with God so that he'll give me what I want, so that he'll keep me healthy, he'll bless my kids, that he'll, he'll take care of my job and my finances, and then I'll, I'll have everything that I want in this life. Is that really why that we want God in our life? I think if we're going to be brutally honest with ourselves and brutally honest in this minute, there's, there's times that that's where our heart is. And it's based on how we act and how we pray and how even we respond to God's word. I really only want God because I, I need him to keep, keep me healthy. I need him to keep money in the bank. I need him to, to, to make sure everything's good in my life. That's why I want God. And the pious answer, the self-righteous answer that we all could say is, I want God because he's God. But that's really why he wants us to want him. Because who he is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should want him because he's God. Because he's our creator. Because he created us to walk with him and have this this amazing relationship with him through grace that none of us deserve because again he's the creator he's holy we should want him because he's god not because of what he can do for us not because he gives us what we want in life the people here even the owner of the the cult that they they took imagine if they had not yielded to the master's plan in this moment Imagine if the disciples said, man, that's way too difficult. That's way too uncomfortable of a command. You want me to go and take somebody's donkey and tell them it's because you need it. I mean, we see you. We know you. We trust you. We've seen you heal the sick. We've seen you do all these things. We know you're the Messiah. We believe all these things, but we don't know that this person's going to know that. And when we say that the master has need of it, I mean, how do we know we're not going to get hurt or we're not going to even get killed from this? Imagine if the disciples says, look, that's just, that's just too weird. That's just awkward of a command to go and take somebody's colt and tell them why. Imagine if they had not done that. Imagine if the owner of the colt had not said, okay, take it if the master needs it. Imagine if the owners refused. Imagine what they would have missed, both the disciples and the owners, had they demanded their own plan be accomplished. Did you hear that? I don't like the sacrifice. I don't want to give up my donkey. I don't, I don't, I, it's so valuable. No one's ever ridden on it. I don't want to give that up. I don't, want to, I don't want to go in that awkward situation and do that. I don't want to ask them, or I don't want to take it and ask for them. I don't want to be so forceful. I don't want to do those things. I don't like it. I don't want to. It doesn't fit into my plan. Imagine if they all had done that. Imagine what they would have missed out on. Imagine the joy and the sorrow mixed together with the realization of what it all meant. Maybe they didn't get it at that point in time, which is what most of our life is like. We don't understand the circumstances. We don't understand the trial. We don't understand the difficulty. We don't understand why me all the time in the moment. Later on down the road, it might be that God shows us that's why, but it may not be. We may not ever get that aha moment. Imagine that joy and sorrow mixed together. Or as the song goes, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Imagine the disciples. We brought Jesus the colt. 
that led him to his death is sorrow that would bring about our salvation, the joy. The owner of the colt, the colt that God blessed me with. I mean, God gave me that colt. God gave me that resource. Why did I have to give it up? Now, I don't have that cult anymore, that value. I don't, why do I have to give that up? Why did he ask it from me? Why did they take it from somebody else? Why did, why did I have to be the one that lost my value, my valuables? Let's just get more real. Why do I have to be the one to deal with this illness? Why did I have to lose my job? Why, does, why do I have to go through this difficulty? Why does, why does my relationship have to be so strange? God blessed me with this. But in the course of their submission and obedience, again, that colt was used to lead Jesus to his death. And that owner of that colt might have thought, you know what, that, that's not a good reason. But again, it brought salvation not only for all of man, but specifically and personally to that owner of that colt. Again, imagine if they refused. Imagine if, 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 if they said, no, we're not going. And then think about this. What if we say, no, I don't want to go? What if we refuse to yield everything to him? What if we choose to step out of God's plan? What would we miss? What will we miss if we do that? What have we missed? Maybe in our refusal to surrender all, to sacrifice for the king, we've missed something great. What about in our refusal to go? Who has missed? Now, I want to say this. We can't live in regret. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to do that. We can't live in the what-ifs. We can't do that. Because we can't change tomorrow. We don't know what the future holds. But we've got to, we've got to be challenged to learn the lessons that we've learned in our failures. And as I close, point number three is God's nature and, and, and being demands our praise. God's nature and being demands our praise. Back in our text, it says, and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon as he went. They spread their clothes in the way, and he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, tell your disciples to stop. You, they're, they're worshiping you like God. Rebuke the disciples. Rebuke your disciples, they said. Listen to what Jesus said. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I was sharing with a few people this week. I, I find it that we can get in the bad ha habit of talking to God only when we want something. Or when he, we need him to fix something. God, change this for me. God, fix this for me. God, do this for me. God, help me. God, God you've got to change my circumstances. God, I need you to, to, to give me this job. God, I need this. God, I need that. I want you to do this. And to be honest, I found myself in that place before, and I think that we all can, can testify that's exactly where I've been in my prayers with God before. I only go to him when I want something. He is the king, though. 
He is holy God. The loving Father who paid the price for us. And in this moment, Jesus was coming into in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the disciples and his followers, were, the multitude, were worshiping and praising him for who he was. Yes, for what he was doing and what he was going to do, but they were praising him as the coming king. Notice there that it says that for all the mighty works that they had seen. The disciples would soon forsake Jesus. All of them. They, they would go. Here in this moment, they're, they're on the mountaintop. The king's coming. We've seen him do all these amazing things. He's coming to be our king. He's going to take us out of this Roman domination. We're no longer going to live under the thumb of the Roman Empire. We're going to have a king. We're going to have all these things ourselves. It's going to be amazing. The kingdom of God will be with here with his people, and it's going to be amazing for us. And when Jesus would be betrayed and when he would be handed over to the authorities and eventually uh, taken through false trials and, and beaten and crucified, they would be scattered. One moment praising him as king for the things that he'd done. For who he was, but the things that he, they had seen. But it makes me wonder this as the musicians come. Is that really our interaction with God? Do we only talk to God when, when we need him to do something for us? Or do we only praise him for the things that we've seen him do or the things that he has done for us? Do we only praise him for that? Don't make a mistake. It's good to go to God for our needs. We should be going to God every day because he is our God, because he, he does have our trust. So don't, don't get that wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to God and say, God, I need your help. God, provide for me my, my daily food, and, and I trust you for all the things. Absolutely, we should go to God. But I want to challenge us this morning. We should go to God aside from the times that we just want something from him. We should go to God just to talk to him, just to praise him as king. As God, as Lord, we should go to him because he is also our friend. It's good to praise God for the good things that he's done, the great things he's done, because they are clearly his hand. God healed, God helped, God gave, God restored, God blessed. Absolutely praise him for that. But again, we should praise him because he's worthy of praise alone. And so I want to encourage you, as I've done this week, and I, I want to encourage you to evaluate your interaction with the Lord. How are you interacting with God? What's your interaction even today when we are praising and, and song and, and, and praying and, and even through this service? What is, what is your interaction with God? And even at the response of this message, let's, let's try to do an evaluation. Let's try to keep a pulse on our prayers, keep a pulse on our praise, asking ourselves the question, am I only needing and never just praising? Is that what I'm doing with God? Am I only coming to him saying, God, you got to help me with this. God, fix this. God, change this. Am I only doing that? Versus sometimes just coming to God and saying, praise you, Lord. You're good. Even if everything was bad in my life, you're still good. Your love is amazing. You're the king. You're God of all creation. 
I just want to praise you. I don't want to ask anything from you today, right now. I just want to praise you. And then beyond that, I'm not only asking of God, but never really truly giving, or never just giving. I'm always asking him, or are there times that I come to God and say, I just want to give you. I just want to give to you. I just, I'm just coming with myself to give. This morning, let's take these with us. Remember that God's go isn't negotiable. Let's also remember that we're the voice, the church. Someone's gotta, if someone's going to hear the good news, it's got to come from someone, and we are the someone. And remember, no matter what our circumstances say, no matter what we're going through, God's plan is perfect. Even if everything seems bad and wrong in our life, it doesn't mean that God's wrong. It doesn't mean that his plan's wrong. Maybe like the hymn writer, and maybe as the song was saying, maybe we just need to say, God, work in me through this trial. Don't change this trial, work in me. Help me have the right heart, the right mind. Give me the right spirit through this trial. Let's yield to his plan. Not try to force him into our plan. Let's yield to his and because of who he is, not just because of what he's done. Let's live lives of praise. Let's praise him and not only ask of him. If you're here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I just, I just want to invite you to come this morning. We've talked about what God did for all of mankind. We've talked about salvation. We've talked about all these things. But if you know in your heart you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then I've got to tell you that there's a day coming that the door of salvation will be closed. So today may be your only opportunity. That day may be today, it may be tomorrow that the opportunity for salvation, maybe the Lord takes you home, maybe he returns. I don't know, but I've got to warn you, I've got to tell you, if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, then you've got to make that decision today. At least let one of our ministers show you out of God's word what it takes to be saved, what it takes to know that no matter what happens to you in this life, that heaven's going to be your eternal home. We're going to pray in just a minute. We're going to ask everybody to stand and respond to the message. I want to encourage you to come down and talk to one of our ministers and say, hey, show me how I can go to heaven when I die. I don't want to chance it. But for us who have done that, if you're saved this morning, let's make sure that we take these points and we allow God to work and use it in our life and that we respond rightly to God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. Again, the challenge that you give me, that you give all of us through your word. Lord, we realize that this life is, is a brief period, but it seems like at times it can be so long. The difficulties, the trials, the circumstances that we go through can be really, really hard. But we realize that you're perfect and your plan is perfect. Or just help us be those people that are yielded to you, that trust you, that obey you because you said so. Because we put our trust in you. Lord, help us, even in this, this moment, to give you the praise that you're worthy of. Not to be people that are only asking, but people that are also giving to you. Lord, just move now and we'll praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.